0: Hi, folks, and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. Please don't skip forward. Please hear me out. It's coming up to Christmas, and we want to be around in 2024 to keep having the conversations like the one you're about to listen to. And the only way we can do that is if some of you dig deep, throw your hands in your pockets, and give us the price of a fancy cup of coffee or a cheap pint nowadays. Uh, all you've got to do is click the link at the top of the podcast that says patreon.com forward slash tortoise It's a few quid to you, but to us, it's lights on, mics on, and we go into 2024 limping along but still able to take the odd swing and keep carving out the space for conversations that thousands of you are listening to. So we just need a few of you to pay it forward and keep it free for everyone. And it's not a one-way street. I tell you all the time, you get a ton of additional content, all of our podcasts in one consolidated feed, entirely plea-free. So think of it as the little Christmas present you can get for yourself. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. Please join us. I'm shutting up now. Enjoy the podcast.
1: Hello, my friends, and welcome to PALCAST, a podcast brought to you by uh, Yusuf Al Jamal here in Istanbul. Um, It's uh, Thursday. Sorry, it's Friday, uh, December 15, and I'm joined today by uh, my co-hosts, Helena Cobben and Tony Gross. Helena is the president of Just Word Books, joining us from Washington, D.C. And Tony is uh, a producer with uh, the Eco Chamber um uh, podcast. Uh, Tony, you wanted to say a few words before we start. I,
0: I did. And I just wanted to put this in context for people because some of the scariest statistics that are starting to come out now from the World Health Organization. And I've, I've interviewed Mike Ryan. I've been fortunate to interview Mike Ryan during the COVID pandemic and what was happening in terms of the, 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 the what's been witnessed over 370,000 infections, including uh, likes lice, scabies. People are uh, suffering from dysentery because the water is polluted with sewage. And unfortunately, and I don't want no people to to turn away when they hear this or turn it off when they hear this with decomposing bodies that have been left under the rubble. The water has been, is absolutely, is, is fetid because of this. 83% of people are now food insecure. To put that in context, before this war started, Afghanistan was the skill, was, was, was already thought upon as the biggest food, um, how do I put this uh, catastrophe uh, playing out in in the area in in the globe? In fact, but now Afghanistan is is half as food uh, insecure as it is now in Gaza, and forty percent of people are suffering what what they what is called severe hunger. So so just to, just to explain what those terms mean, food insecure means you don't know where your next meal is coming from. So. The majority, the vast majority, over 80% of people in Gaza are food insecure. They don't know where their next meal is coming from. But the 40% who are now severely hungry, they've gone over a day without food. So that's starvation term. That's what we're talking about now. That's where we are now. And unfortunately, we're leaning into a, a period where winter is coming. There's people have been displaced to a rate of, I believe, nearly 45% of homes are uninhabitable or already destroyed. 1.7 million people uh, displaced. And, um, and I, also, and again, really quickly, if you don't mind, and, and please indulge me for this, for this, we've seen the mood music in the U.S. has started to change because... Because they've said things like, you know, oh, we want to um, stop the indiscriminate bombing, which they were OK with for the last 70 days. Two, two, two ton bombs were dropped on Jabalaya refugee camp. White phosphorus has been used. White phosphorus has been used in Lebanon. These are all facts now. These are all war crimes that people are talking about. And people are dying now because they're going to get sick and they're hungry. These are the weapons of war beyond the guns, the bombs, the bullets. And um, I'm, I'm interested to get both of your takes on it. But I think it's really important that we know that right now over 40% of people in Gaza are effectively starving. That's the truth. These are the numbers.
1: Thank you, Tony. This is really um, troubling and uh, I feel sick in my stomach, uh, especially that I have family there. I spoke to uh, my parents yesterday and um, Israel bombed another house uh, near my family's house, and uh, my mom was baking uh, bread. Uh, she, she's lucky enough to have some floor left uh, for another week. Um, when the debris of the targeted house started falling on 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 her head and she she had to run inside the house this is you know life in gaza either you're killed by bombing or by starvation starvation is a weapon of of war indeed as you said we've uh, explained this in a previous uh, episode uh, for a podcast uh, where we discussed how starvation is being used uh, by israel in gaza as a weapon uh, of war um I would like to, you know, um, start by reading um, a poem by Rifat Al arir our mentor, friend, poet, who was murdered um, more than a week ago in in Gaza by an Israeli um, airstrike. In fact, it was his word to Gaza Rights Back, um, uh, which he published in November uh, twenty thirteen, uh, with uh, just with uh, books and. Uh, Rifat says, to Palestine, to Gaza, and despite Israel's death sentences like lead cast upon the head, gnawing at our life, clinging to it like a flea, to a kitten, and stuffed in our throats, the moment we say Amen to the prayers of old women and men, blocking their ways to God, we dream and pray, clinging to life even harder. Every time a dear one's life is forcibly rooted up, we live, we live, we do. You see the message of hope, Helena, of, of Rifat, he always spoke of, of life. And even when someone's life is forcibly taken, as Rifat said, then unfortunately it was Rifat's life uh, that was taken um a week ago in in, in Gaza, Rifat still clings to hope and, and and life. And I think this is uh, how we want Rifat to be remembered.
2: Absolutely, Yusuf. And I'm just really delighted, you know, as the CEO of uh, Just World Books, which had the honour of publishing Gaza Writes Back, to, I'm really delighted to be working with you, Yusuf, right now on preparing a new edition of the book, that will be a memorial to Rifat and will contain some more, I mean, it'll contain the original stories that are so wonderful that he had collected from his students, but it will also update people about what's happened to those students ever since. And I'm I'm really happy that this is going to happen. But today we have something really important to talk about, Yusuf. Tell us what's happening right now in Gaza and the West Bank.
1: So right now in Gaza, Israel uh just injured uh Al Jazeera journalist al Dahdu um whose uh family was targeted uh a few weeks ago in Gaza and he lost his wife and um uh some of his uh children and grandchildren. Um he ended up in, in Rafah and he was just injured by uh you know uh an Israeli uh Uh, bombing near him. He was injured in in the hand and there are 63 Palestinian journalists who were killed by Israel uh, so far. And in the West Bank, Israel is breaking into refugee camps, especially a Jinnian refugee camp where eight Palestinians were killed yesterday. Israeli uh, soldiers are mocking Islam by breaking into uh, mosques in in Jenin, they uh, wrote on on the walls of one of the mosques that we came here to eat hummus, and another soldier broke into another mosque and he started singing Hanukkah songs uh, from inside the mosques using the loudspeakers of the of the mosque. Um, in in Janine too mass arrests are taking place of Palestinians Israel is doing what is uh, doing in Gaza they're arresting these young people uh, stripping them almost naked and taking footage of them and publishing them online and then they understand our culture um, and um, what humiliates or makes us feel humiliated as they think by you know publishing footage of, of men almost uh, naked. in in Gaza, Israel arrested, uh, God knows how many, but at least hundreds of Palestinians were taken hostage, uh, including women, hundreds of women were arrested. Uh, maybe thousands of Palestinians from Gaza were arrested, no one knows, it's between hundreds and thousands. And um, they're, in many cases, they're taken, um, to, to, to the Naqab deserts in camps erected by the Israeli army. They're humiliated, they're uh, stripped, you know, uh, of of their clothes. Uh, Israel takes pictures and footage of them and they publish them online. In some cases, they force them to take guns and to take, you know, videos of them handing over their, their guns, saying these are Hamas terrorists who, uh, just surrender to the Israeli army and Palestinians in Gaza were able to identify many civilians. Uh, I do believe that all these people were uh, civilians and they were forced to do that. In fact, um, uh, Hanin Madhun, a Palestinian American from DC was able to identify some of his relatives who were taken by the Israeli army and the Israeli army, the Israeli army said th- these were Hamas fighters who surrendered to, to the Israeli military. I saw a picture of a Palestinian woman also forced to take off her head cover among these uh, young people t- taken in, in, in trucks to these uh, military camps near Gaza. Uh, some people were able to identify a trainee doctor who was carrying a gun. He was forced to carry a gun um, among these people. And in, in uh, just like about a week ago, uh, there was a Palestinian business owner in Beit Lahia who was forced to take, uh, you know, a gun and do this performance acting and for, for Israeli camera people to, to take footage of him. And people were able to identify him. And, you know, the scandal was when the Israeli military published two videos because the first one did not work. So in, in one video he was carrying his the gun in, in his left hand, in the other video he was carrying the gun in his right hand. Imagine and do you think, Tony, that the, the Israeli military will wait for Hamas fighters to take off their clothes and still like keep their guns? You Yusuf, I absolutely like it was
0: complete theater. It was absolute theater of, of the uh, and it was actually a theater of the absurd. But what I have a friend who is in Ukraine um, and he's documenting war crimes. It has to be said on all sides. He's a human rights lawyer. That's what he does. He's working on what's happened. And he's looking at this through cold, legalized, and he's saying, what though, even taking these videos, this ritual humilia, humiliation are war crimes because you cannot do that. Even when we've seen those situations where they've mistreated prisoners of war and I'm doing inverted air quotes, I'm doing all of these things. These are, you should, these are these are propaganda things that should not be doing in the first place. And also we've seen the videos. I mean imagine saying to someone you know strip off take off all your clothes and just take a gun when you're coming out for the video it would be very it would be very convenient for us people see through it but I think it's for a domestic audience that doesn't actually really care about the facts because if you were listening in the UN the other evening when the UN voted overwhelmingly for a ceasefire only to be v- vetoed the the um, Israeli spokesperson still actually made the claim in the UN about forty beheaded babies he said it again he repeated the same claim and his own i know this uh, by her, helena it's, it's been it's been it's been it's Heret's have have debunked it so
2: his, his own media have debunked it but there it is in the UN yet again i think they do this for a number of different reasons um Tony and Yusuf, I think they do it to humiliate the Palestinians. And in essence, everything that is happening that Tony mentioned earlier about, you know, destroying people's houses, forcing them to live, you know, essentially almost like animals in the wild and starving them and, and with no sanitation and with disease. All of this is a humiliation for any human being. That's one thing that they're trying to just humiliate, 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 even people who were doctors or, or, or lawyers or teachers or university professors, just to tell them you're like, we think of you as animals, because that's exactly what they said at the beginning, the, the human animals of, of Gaza. So that's one thing is the humiliation, which, as Tony pointed out, is a war crime. But of course, they feel they can do it because they have total impunity. In the international, you know, they know that the United States is never going to call them to account. That's one thing. But the other thing, I think the whole business about the um, Palestinians from Beit Lahir who were rounded up, the men were separated from the women, the men were taken to one side and were stripped to their underpants, which in, you know, pious Muslim culture or, or, you know, modest, socially conservative culture is a real humiliation. It's like in the West, forcing a woman to take all her clothes off, you know, and, and displaying her in public that, you know, it's a different culture. And they know that they know that it's a humiliation, but they did that. And then they rounded them up and put them into, into trucks. And then it was all a way of claiming as they did around a week ago to the Native, sorry, domestic, um, Isra- Israeli audience, we have mass surrenders by the Hamas fighters. And, and here is the proof claiming that these people, many of whom I have to say were kind of like paunchy, overweight, you know. Journalists, journalists,
0: Helena. (laughs) There was,
2: there was journalists amongst (laughs) them. Yeah, journalists. No, but, but, you know, so, so they were trying to claim to their own people in Israel that we are winning this war. And, and actually, it's not the case. They are not winning this war in the way, I mean, their method with fighting wars is to have them be short and decisive. And this one is not short and decisive. And it's, Actually, inf- imposing mounting economic costs on the Israeli economy because of the hundreds of thousands of reservists who are, who are still tied up in Gaza. But I, I just want to say that these humiliations have two main goals: one is to humiliate the Palestinians, and the other is to gleefully claim to the Israeli. Um, domestic audience that we are winning, and you know, th- I think that all of the things that Yusuf mentioned about soldiers in a in a mosque in Jenin singing Hanukkah songs, or you know, when they actually put explosives around the Palestinian Parliament building or around other important buildings like mosques and then blow them up. That's not a military operation. That is a a propaganda operation to prove to the Israeli people we are winning this war. We are so wonderful.
1: And and Helena, it's not only like um, planting explosives around buildings and blowing them up. Uh, a Palestinian from Gaza City uh, who I um, know for a long time from Twitter. Ex, his name is Hakim. Uh, he he wrote on Twitter two days ago that the um, Israeli military um, was uh, or forced him sorry to um, wear explosives around his body and sent him inside a tunnel and forced him to walk inside the tunnel for forty meters to check whether the tunnel had explosives or Hamas fighters. And uh, you know, and then they released him after they humiliated him, and this is very uh, well documented. And this is not the first case. In fact, the Israeli military is not shying away from publishing videos of um, almost naked young Palestinian men. Um, a dozen of them forcing them into buildings before they get into these buildings. And uh, it's a uh, crime against, you know, uh, international law. This is a violation of international law. But again, Israel is not shying away from uh, doing that. And it's it's very uh, troubling. Uh, we've seen also footage of mass arrests of, of, of young people. I saw this picture two days ago of almost 500 people, uh, young people who were detained, they uh, were uh, forced to take off uh, their their clothes to their pants and they were uh, put in what looks like um, an open area uh, and was covered also from all directions uh, by, you know, like mountains of, of, of sand and the Israeli military uh, was there with their cameras? They were taking pictures, footage of them, probably using artificial intelligence to identify them. And and these young men were were shipped to these military camps erected very close to the Gaza to the Gaza borders inside Israel. Uh, some of these people were uh, released, including a 15 year old child uh, who spoke of torture and depriving them of, of food for many days. Uh, another Palestinian was released and once he uh, walked outside the border, few steps, he was shot dead intentionally. So they're like playing games, Tony and Helena, uh, with Palestinian lives. Uh, it's like fun game for them. And this reminds me of the Great March of Return and how Israeli snipers were also bragging about uh, shooting, um, you know, Palestinians in, in, in their knees and uh, and, you know, uh, the, even like there was this soldier, as Haaretz reported, who bragged about shooting children in their knees in Gaza. And this is a continuation. These are not normal people. I think anyone with, uh, you know, principles and values wouldn't do this. Uh, I've seen footage of Israeli soldiers lining up in the midst uh, of of destruction in Gaza with a red carpet and there was a marriage proposal can you believe that in, in on, on on the ones of Palestinians and on their bodies. but but but,
0: yeah. but Yusuf, there was marriage proposals there was um gender reveals there was um uh, a waving waving of the pink washing waving of the pride flag um, i i spoke to my friend bashar murad who is a, um a really good pop star folks. If you don't know Bashar Murad's stuff, he's every song should be in the Eurovision, by the way. Um and, uh, and and he talked about, you know, like um how hard it was for him as a Palestinian member of the LGBTQ community seeing them put this pinkwashing thing saying as if their bombs don't kill members of, of the LGBTQ community. So all of this this is this is just it's just another weapon of war it's 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 more sinister than that in a way because right now in the west culture wars you know like um same sex bathrooms and who's doing this and all of this nonsense about what what um you know uh, people are um worried allegedly worried about they, they weaponize culture wars and israel has done this with their with the with the with the IDF itself actually pushing those buttons so it's 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 kind of gross to watch it playing out but i i like to think that people are more more clued in and, and understand that that's not actually the truth that the truth is um the the indiscriminate bombing uh kills you whether you're um straight uh, or lesbian or gay or bisexual or trans whatever your or whatever your your and more importantly uh yusuf that that um that the the struggle for liberty and i'm i'm sorry to say this on the podcast and maybe you should have said it sooner but the struggle for palestinian freedom doesn't stop at the at the struggle for palestinian freedom it's it's it is when palestine is free everybody is free because then we will be all be able to to, to be who we want to be in the world and i just find what israel is doing is successfully weaponizing these Tiny little issues that are popular, unfortunately, in the Western media. And Helena, you've seen it. You're in the US. They, no one else has. Like, there's two anti-LGBT um legis- p- piece of legislation p- all, um put forward almost a day for the last year to try and make things more difficult for people. And it's a rolling back at. It's a rolling back on human rights. And it's and Israel knows this.
2: Yeah, Tony, you're right that they're trying to use these kind of tiny little culture war issues. And the, of course, the other big one that they've been trying to do is, is like women's rights yeah. by saying, Oh, you know, the women's, big women's rights organization and the UN's women's rights organization, you know, they care about women's rights everywhere, but they don't care about the hundreds of, of women and girls who were raped on, on October 7th in, in Israel and the, The evidence for that, now I've written about this last week, and I looked very hard at the evidence. The evidence is extremely shaky and mixed. Clearly, there were a lot of uh, human rights violations that were committed in Israel on October 7th. It is not clear that any of them were com- were committed by by Hamas fighters because the Hamas fighters were actually very busy reaching their military objectives which they did very successfully but of course the fact that they had opened 60 breaches in the wall of the of the Gaza concentration camp meant that all kinds of people from Gaza were going out and do and I think they s- stole stuff they did they did bad stuff and Hamas was unable to police them. That's one thing. The other thing is that the Israeli counter-offensive in the, the south of Israel was extremely violent and chaotic. So a lot of the evidence that these Israeli-backed so-called human rights organizations, a lot of the evidence that they bring up is something about like women's bodies had nails strewn in their genitals you know that stuff happens when you hit people with a hellfire missile which is what which is the kind of american supplied missile that israel has it it's not you know actually a rape it's it's a horrible thing that happened to a woman but the circumstances in which it happened were not what the these israeli culture warriors are saying i want to say tony i The Israelis have been trying to do this pink washing, to do this gender washing, to do this, you know, women's rights washing. I don't think they're succeeding very much. You know, they, they've succeeded to a certain degree, but most people in this country and globally, I mean, I'm sitting here in Washington DC. Um, the majority of people here, don't buy that stuff. But of course, the very powerful lobbying organizations that protect Israel's interests keep on playing these lines. Um, Yusuf, what do you think? Uh,
1: You know, since October 7, um, at least uh, 3,500 Palestinians were arrested in in the West Bank, and um, thousands probably uh, were arrested in Gaza as well. Uh, We do not know the exact numbers, but we've seen pictures of hundreds of people uh, being grounded up. And it's sad that no one is talking about these uh, people. And uh, among these people, there are 300 Palestinian women who were arrested. The majority of them were from Gaza. And no one is talking about, uh, you know, uh, Palestinian women uh, and their rights before October 7 and after October 7. Um, seventy percent of people who were killed by Israel were children and women. And again, no one is talking about the rights of Palestinian children and women. It's uh, I see this as a you know defense of a collective culture produced by settler colonialism. It's only when a white person, a settler, is is hurt that the word cries out. Not for the Palestinians, not for Palestinian women, not for minority groups in, in in Palestine and elsewhere. It's only very targeted and very um centered around uh people uh who form a specific you know culture, and these people feel that there are cultural bones and values that tie them together and that's why they defend uh, each other and promote these propaganda stories that you mentioned about palestinians uh, horrible accusations against palestinians why no one is talking about what is happening now as we talk in gaza the mass destruction of gaza what used to be gaza city what used to be the north of gaza the, the huge destruction in the south as well and killing thousands of palestinians this is the climax of hypocrisy and selective uh, solidarity that we have seen for the past two months. And as Palestinians, we've seen it before. Um, I mean, I don't want to um, get into this, but even when Ahd tamimi was arrested, a lot of the the solidarity that she got, according to her own mom, was because of the color of her eyes and, and, and because she was blonde even palestinians that is like selective solidarity with palestinians what about brand palestinians you know we are of of all colors we we are very mixed. every um you know human being deserves solidarity and uh, we have to talk about palestinians to talk about all victims uh, uh, but, regardless of, but, of their contact. But, of their but Yusuf,
0: I'm going to do exactly what they, they're supposed to do. We need to wedge in this issue and we need to say, you know, the real problem is people on the campus of Harvard chanting things that ups, upset us more. And let's talk about that, Yusuf, because that's more important than, than, than the than the arrest of 3,000 people. That's more important than what's happening. Can we not just talk about what I want to talk about, Yusuf? Because that's much more important. Honestly, to me, right now, we need to talk about Harvard and we need to talk about universities, and, and, and what's happening there and why and why I don't feel safe and I've, obviously I'm being you know facetious but nonetheless it's it's so enraging when they absolutely do successfully do that and Helena you see you see it more than anything because because um I I am critical of the Irish media but my god the American media is uh, has like day 72 and the first the first CNN journalist to go into Gaza without a uh, an Israeli army escort went in yesterday. Terrifying.
2: Yeah, you know... Just, I'm, just before I'm we go to, to
1: think- Helena, sorry...
2: Sorry, I just wanted to say that I'm glad that Tony noted that he was being facetious when he was uh-huh. talking about, you know, like how everybody should care about white people's feelings rather than actually what's happening on the ground to, to people of color. Um, Rifat El Arir, our friend, and of course we can't stop talking about him. He understood these matters very close very i mean he he understood cultural things very deeply and well and he was being quite facetious when he you know made his little tweet about you know the overblown and actually actually unsubstantiated and incorrect claims about babies you know about on october 7th that the hamas people put burned babies in ovens as you'd mentioned earlier and, and Rifat used, you know, his sense of irony, his sense of like, um, being facetious and, and said something about, you know, well, did they use baking powder or not? His critics and the people who probably are largely responsible for him becoming a target and being killed, his critics had no sense of irony, no sense of, of reality. And, and they, they, took him, you know, they, they didn't realize he was being facetious, which of course he was. And and they put a target on his back and they killed him.
1: Um, exactly, uh, Helena. And they also do not have a um, sense of evidence. Uh, this is a fabricated story and uh, Rifat treated it as, as such. Uh, I would like to, you know, the... the um, it's really sad how you know Palestinians on the ground in Gaza are counting bodies now and how many people did they, they lost and the devastating you know loss and destruction of of their lives of of their lands of their houses of their friends and families, and you have these propaganda people complaining about for example. Israeli salads being sold at Harvard uh, without referring to it as as Israeli, and it's mind blowing because my friend Jihad Abu Salim quoted the same in tweet, and it was of his school in Gaza, blown by the Israeli army, completely destroyed. And this is, you know, the contrast we have today. It's like the utter destruction of lives in Gaza and the lives of Palestinians. And then you have other people like criticizing Rifat, for example, for, for a lie because he used dark humor to debunk it. Uh, or complaining about not getting Israeli khumus, uh, uh, uh in their schools while Palestinians are starving in Gaza. This is settler colonialism 101. And then you have this debate, Helena. Probably you can conclude with that about you know university presidents forced to to resign the president of the University of Pennsylvania was forced to resign because because of the Palestine Rights Festival and then the subsequent campaigns of smearing against the schooling and against her for hosting the festival it's you know our mere existence and writing makes them uncomfortable. And now they're targeting Harvard University. They're not happy with Harvard students, the smartest in the world, expressing solidarity with with Palestine. And, And they publicly said that in order to minimize criticism for Israel, we should have less free speech, believe it or not. They said that.
2: Yeah, you're, you're completely right. One thing that I noted about what happened at the University of Pennsylvania, which is a big private university and very reliant on donations from mainly, you know, rich people on Wall Street and whatever is that the president, Liz McGill, was indeed forced to resign because of what the donors claimed was her insufficient support for Israel. She resigned, but What was not noted as much is that also the chairman of the board of the university, whose name is Bok, B-O-K, I can't remember what his first name is, maybe Steve or something. He also resigned and he resigned in solidarity with her and on the point of principle saying that a university should not bow to the whims of its donors. And I think his resignation was really, you know, well, I think they were both right to resign, but his was not noted as much, and it was, in a sense, more powerful. So this whole business about the university presidents, I don't want to take too much time on this, but it it arose because there is there are two Jewish Republican members of the U.S. Congress, and one of them is this woman called Elise Stefanik, who is herself a Harvard graduate, And she is very pro-Israeli and she had organized these hearings for university presidents who were accused of allowing anti-Semitism on their, on their campuses. And for a start, I don't see why the university presidents feel the need to go to a congressional hearing. You know, they're not political people and, and the universities are independent institutes, but they did. And, and she made the claim that at Harvard, when students had a slogan supporting an intifada, that an intifada, calling for an intifada was the same as calling for a genocide. Like, what an ignorant woman! <laughs> um, but, you know, everybody there on Capitol Hill just went along with that. Nobody stood up, and including any of these university presidents, didn't say, well, actually, you know, Congresswoman uh Stefanik, that is not what the word intifada means. So I think you're 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 actually overblowing. Helena, do you mind telling anyway, tell
0: listeners what intifada means? Because uh, bear in mind, I mentioned Bashar Murad. One of his best songs is Intifada on the dance floor, folks. <laughs> right?
2: <laughs> yeah, so an Intifada literally I think in Arabic it means when you kind of you shake something off. Um but it it Uprising. generally Yeah. Thank you, Yusuf. You go with this. It's an uprising. And the first one that the Palestinians of the, the first one in modern times that the Palestinians in the occupied territories mounted starting in December of 1987 was completely nonviolent and very powerful. Um, Anyway, there's a lot of history of intifadas, but the word means an uprising. No, I just think
0: it's important because a lot of people, you know, they've weaponized words, as we know we and and it's not good enough. Um can I make one final point because I know we're coming to a close here. Um you mentioned the journalists. So so depending on who you read, somewhere between 63 and 80 journalists, 80 journalists have been killed now in in Gaza. Um many of them I I, I knew. Um some of them I didn't know but worked for people who I did know. I, and, and again, this is the point and apologies folks for, for hijacking your podcast, but this is the point at the hypocrisy of the Western media. When it was my friends who were reporting on the ground in Ukraine, who had traveled from everywhere to report from Ukraine, when it was people in Russia who stood up and were arrested in Russia, who were, stood up and said, you know, let's report on what Putin has done in terms of his anti-democratic practices and how he did things there was a lot of solidarity amongst the journalist community. I don't see as much when it comes to the people in Gaza. And that is a fact. I've taken a lot of shit for it over the last few weeks and I don't care. It should not matter that these are people, these are people in Palestine, that these are Gazans and it mattered more when let's tell the truth when they were white people in, in Russia or in Ukraine. And nowhere else has been as deadly to the profession of journalism as what's happened in Gaza over the last two months. And I think as someone who spends a lot of time with journalists and loves the work that they do and admires them and what, what they do shapes my voice. My God, we've let ourselves down terribly.
2: Yeah, I, I just want to, because I, I am a recovering journalist. I worked as a journalist for a long time. And I want to thank uh, Tony for making that point, just to put in that the Israelis have also targeted and killed journalists in Lebanon in recent weeks. And we shouldn't forget that either. Um, so now, anyway, Yusuf, back to you.
1: Thank you, both um, Helena and, and, and Tony. Um, I would like to conclude with a short quote uh, from Gaza Rice back, written by Rifat. Sometimes a homeland becomes a tale. We love the story because it's about our homeland. And we love our homeland even more because of the story. Uh, remember Rifat, let his uh, murder in Gaza be uh, a tale, let it be a uh, hope as he wanted. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you, uh, Tony and, and Helena. Uh, Tony from the Echo Chamber podcast and Helena from uh, Just Word uh, uh, Educational. I would like also to thank our sponsors, the Hashim Sani Center for Palestine Studies in, in Malaysia. Um, uh who are helping us w- with this uh podcast to make it possible please uh also do not forget to subscribe to to our podcast tony told us that there are like thousands of people who downloaded uh the the podcast uh, which is a-, a huge number for for a new podcast and this is very encouraging the word of mouth is very important tell your friends and and family and share it everywhere let the intifada um the virtual intifada begin Uh, here too thank you very much and I'm looking forward to talking to you uh, uh, next week